What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Teeing It Up. I'm your favorite host besides the other host, Connor. What's going on? Uh, back for another episode, a spring edition. We got lots of topics, kind of a miscellaneous multi-sport episode coming at you. Exciting time of the year in sports. Uh, good to talk to you, Vladdy. Welcome back from the other side of the pond. How have you been? I was, I, I mean, I've been fantastic. Um, like you said, uh, just spent the weekend in Spain. Um, it almost kind of doesn't feel real because of how short it was. I was doing kind of the, the numbers. I was, we were in Spain for less than 48 hours. We kind of landed Friday around noon, left Sunday morning. Um, still actually got to see a decent amount, walk through the city, kind of saw the main touristy attractions, obviously went to the Real Madrid game. They lost, which is funny, but the game didn't really matter. So I kind of, I, I kind of accepted that, uh, it was going to be a nothing burger, probably the, the, the couple days before I kind of realized, oh no, um, they're not playing for anything. They're going to play, they played a weekend team. Um, the atmosphere from the fans was weak. Um, the, the player effort was weak but again all of that was to be expected based on their current schedule with having Barcelona last week they play Chelsea tomorrow but most importantly got to see Luka Modric play he uh he wasn't in the starting uh lineup and I was like wow if I go all the way to Spain I don't get to see my favorite player play it's gonna be disappointing but he came in for a nice 15 minute cameo um played well but Spain was great. They don't speak English there, so or at all. Uh, there was a lot of charades being played with like waiters if we're trying to get food and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. That was always fun. But no, would would love to go back for an extended period of time, go see another game, maybe a more important one where there's actually stakes on the line. Um, yeah, I could probably go on longer, but obviously we actually have sports to talk about, not our lives. Maybe we can maybe during one of the dead the, during dead episodes of the summer we can revisit this. What about yourself? How have you been? How's the last week? How, how, how's everything going? Good, man. I've been chilling. Nothing new. Watched a ton of golf last weekend. Last week of classes this week. Uh, at a perfect time with the weather starting to turn in here for all our local uh, fans. Uh, it's been beautiful this week, and it's supposed to be beautiful for the next four or five days, it seems like. Um, so, yeah, I got a little bit of spring fever. I've been hooping outside. Now, I have a question for your trip. Uh, you said you're there for about 48 hours. Now, do you even like get used to that time zone no. or are you just kind of, your body's just kind of in a jet lag trance. And by the time you you're like, yeah, you just no, have no concept happen. of time. No, um, everything was normal. Uh, you land Friday, it's sunny out. So, I mean, the lights out, so it's not like you're tired and it's dark out. So you hit the hay, um, no jet lag issues. I've been back to work with no, um, no, disruption of the schedule so everything's golden on that side for me hmm. yeah i was just wondering how that works when it's just kind of like a dip just a dipping back across the pond uh, but that's good it's cool i know the real madrid squad i did just google who luka modric is he's an ugly fella I, i'm <laughs> it's unfortunate that you chose this ugly of a fella to be your favorite player uh he's i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dignify that with a response Anyways, uh, moving on, we got plenty of sports topics to talk about. Uh, I know we've spent a lot of time the last six weeks on Michigan State basketball. We're back. Uh, there's news to be had, early season roster moves. Uh, first, uh, role player Pierre Brooks, uh, sophomore on this would past you even, year's team. Would, I really, would you even call him a role player? <laughs> no, I would call him the, a, role, a role bench guy. His role was to hand water bottles. 
Uh, he leaves and enters the transfer portal. Um, it's the second player in two years to leave for the transfer portal under third player in three years under Tom Izzo. I feel like that's kind of average numbers at this stage of this game, stage of the game, maybe even below average numbers. Um, with Pierre or Pierre Brooks, with Rocket Watts leaving two years ago, uh, Julius Marble last year, and Foster Lawyer uh, the year before that. So four players in three years, I guess. So now that I'm thinking of it, it's probably not that great. Anyways, a bit of a not really a surprise. A guy that like had some spot minutes as a freshman was a relatively high four star recruit. I think people expected him to take a jump and to be maybe a six guy off the bench this year. It never really happened. His minutes only decreased as the season went on. Um, and in this stage of the game, when that happens, usually you hit the portal. Um, didn't you? Didn't he kind of start a couple of the games at the beginning of the season? So I mean, yeah. kinda, maybe he. I don't know if he played his way out of the starting eleven with bad performances, or I think maybe you have, might have told me that. Didn't you hear rumors that there might have been some philosophical differences with Izzo, and it was just a one of those for the best kind of hey, um, this isn't working out. Thanks for what you've done, but it's not going to work out for you here. Yeah, I had heard there. Izzo wasn't a fan of the attitude on and off the court. Um, so usually when that happens, you're not going to see very many playing time. The, I will say the starts were during the time when Malik Call and Aikens were hurt for the oh, most part. Okay. Um, so that's where a lot of those minutes came in. And once both of them kind of got healthy, he kind of went back to being seventh, eighth guy, ninth guy, tenth guy. To he didn't play at all down the stretch um, in any of those tournament games. Um, uh, in other news, some additions, or I guess not additions, but not leaving the roster, both two seniors, Malik Hall and Tyson Walker, who both played instrumental roles in this year's team, coming back for a fifth year. I think it's huge. Um, Malik Hall, that I, great point by someone in a group chat we're both in. I, obviously, I think people aren't necessarily high on Malik Hall after an extremely mediocre year, riddled by injuries, and he's kind of always been – riddled by injuries throughout the later half of his MSU career. He'll be a three-year captain, a great leader to add. And to be honest, he's a great stretch four uh, or stretch three into a four. And that's something that MSU doesn't really have at that position right now, which is going, so he's going to fill in that role as a starter, fifth year senior, a guy you trust, even if maybe he's not the most talented player at this point. So now you're looking at um, what's the big five-star Xavier Booker, is it? Yeah, Xavier Booker. Xavier Booker at the probably the five and Malik probably playing a four in that starting lineup more than likely. Um, and then the three with, guards with the three guards, pro, with the three guards, and then the big uh, five star point guard Fears probably coming off the bench as the fifth guy or sixth guy. Yeah, I mean, with Malik Hall, I want to do specify one thing. Yeah, I think you kind of mentioned the the up and down this year between injury and kind of just play as a whole. And I think that almost kind of describes his entire kind of career at Michigan State. It's always yeah. he's shown flashes, and I still remember the Seton Hall game. Right. Um, you, you showed, I think it was like 15 points on just, just pure shooting, and it was like, wow. Um, but again, you also, whether it's you saying this through Josh, but um, he is a wing, and wings are a position that Michigan State doesn't have. And to be honest, I don't think they really have ever had. I mean, I could go back to Henry and Gabe Brown, but mm. they were kind of in the same boat of, hey, you're leaving a lot to be desired with your play. So, like you said, I think it's it's a very good addition by retention. 
probably your best defender, I guess, maybe unless Xavier Booker turns out to be Xavier Tillman, but I guess we'll see what happens. Um, probably your best defender can kind of switch on anything. We, he's shown that he can score before, so who knows, maybe an offseason to get confidence back or just some form of shooting can help. It, it is it is something that I think if maybe it's the sour taste of how the end of the season went, uh, me thinking, oh, he's back, uh, whatever. But I think I think it's it's good to have him back. And then Tyson Walker, the other one, announced it uh, the day prior. Uh, obviously, the, took the big step up, was kind of the second option offensively. Uh, with Joey Hauser and him averaged, I think, just over 14 points a game. Um, I don't really see him coming in and, like, going like Joey Hauser crazy and doubling his points and being, like, a 20-point Big Ten guy. Oh, definitely but I not. think I think, yeah, I think he comes in and is just as comfortable and is that 14-point uh, streaky scorer that we kind of need him to be. Um, and that adds to a lineup that's going to have um, – Three seniors, two of them fifth years, a, a junior three-year starter, Jaden Akins, and then a five-star freshman. Um, the expectations are high with those two coming back. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, we want to get to the third guy? Yeah, um, Joey Hauser is obviously that third's kind of instrumental senior. It doesn't look like he's going to come back. Uh, has he officially made word that he is not coming back? I was thinking of Tyson Walker. I said I just said Tyson Walker. Oh, I'm wow. Um, yeah, no, Hauser. He has not. He's he's he basically said he's probably um, yeah not coming back. For those who don't know, I probably should have asked him. He was on my flight back from Boston. Should have just been like, "Hey, Joey, uh, you coming back next year? We could use you for one more. We need catch and shoot, Jesus." What was the interaction? You said you gave him a nice little head nod. Well, so he had sat down in his seat. Uh, I kind of saw him in the line. He checked, uh, kind of checked. I got boarded the plane before us. I saw him in his seat. I walked by. I had my kind of Michigan State jacket on. And he kind of like looked up. He saw it. I kind of locked eyes. And I just kind of gave him the head nod of like, hey, what's up? Like, I know who you are. Cool. What's up? And then move the move on. I mean, dude's sitting on the plane. I'm not going to hold up the line and say, yo, 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 it's Joey Allen. Yeah. What's up, man? I can't yeah. do that. <laughs> So and it's just popped in my head. You think he was at the last Celtics game to see his brother? Oh, 100%. That's why, he was there yeah. to see his brother. Because I was thinking, like, well, school's still going on. What's he doing there? But I guess it's a weekend trip to see his oh, brother. 100%. In the he was there to see his brother. But uh, it was a good time. We'll see. Um, Did you yeah. want to add anything on Tyson Walker since you just kind of – Yeah. I kind of – yeah, I kind of – I would just say, I mean – that's another guy where he showed, as always, flashes. He could take games over. He showed flashes that there is that dog in him. If we get another step of that and he takes a little bit more of the shots that maybe A.J. Hogard was taking late in the season, that will be very good for us. Um, again, huge addition by retention. Um, sets up Michigan State to be a preseason top 10 team with all the recruiting class and the returners. So huge hopes for this upcoming year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's enough MSU basketball talk. We'll have yep. plenty of, th- of that to get to um, months down the road, but just wanted to keep people informed on what what the team might look like in the early uh, early months of April. I yep. said March. Um, next, we have the Masters tournament. Uh, kind of a recap. Congrats, golf clap for us. We both picked the winner. 
I mean, we say golf clap for us as if he wasn't one of the three guys that you can choose. There was like, yeah. there, like there, this season or this year, there's been three dudes who are just exponentially better than the rest of like golf. And we picked one of them. See, I'm here to make the argument that one of those guys that like you could argue is, is why is he still there? Why is he still up there? Rory, you yes. look at the two biggest, two biggest events this year, uh, Put the players and then the masters miss cuts in both of those two. Is he events. one? Is he one this year? Or is he just like consistently on the leaderboard and people are like, well, because the consistency, he is one of those guys. I, I, I think actually don't know. I don't think he's won this year. I think he just had a ton of world ranking points from last year, having such a good year and winning the FedEx. Uh, and he does have some good finishes and some smaller events. But like I said, two biggest events so far this year: the players and the masters, yep. and he's not even sniffed the cut. Yeah, that, I mean that's 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 kind of just the way it rolls. I mean, it kind of continues his elusive green jacket completion of a, the career slam. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't like him, so I kind of hope that thing continues. Um, but let's yeah. actually get to, let's actually get to the kind of the storylines. I know I'll, I'll get a couple things that I just want to get off my chest first. I know you were more the Masters watcher this this weekend because I was on a different continent, but um. I guess first thing I want to say is good showing for the live tour. Three yeah. guys in the top five. Um, there is kind of a 18 meme. made the cut. Yep. And there's also kind of a meme to be made that uh, Brooks Kepka had a great 54 hole. Yeah. And then the last 18, <laughs> he was not there. <laughs> yep. But um, well, you I, could argue it started before that because he lost strokes going into that in the true. morning third yeah. round. Yeah. Um, so maybe three days ahead. versus four days. But um. Go yeah, I mean, we mentioned Brooks Kepka. I guess I'll bring up the the kind of the the Rom versus Kepka. What was supposed to be that superstar shootout, and it was kind of those two big name superstars. I mean, again, Brooks Kepka hasn't really been in the public eye for a year and a half now, between injuries and not even being on the PGA Tour anymore. But I think I don't want to say he rediscovered because I don't know if he ever lost it, but I think. People kind of remembered he is still a phenomenal golfer when he's not dealing with injuries. Yeah, I was still, gonna make the same point. He he's insane. It's it's a shame that he couldn't kind of hold up his end of the Rom versus Kepka because that that, that yeah. would have been a phenomenal ending to the Masters. I mean, I was watching that yep. in, in Boston. We were sitting at a bar with my dad and we were just kind of watching it go down and it's like, oh, shot dropped, shot dropped, shot dropped, Rom birdie, and you're like, all right, lays up by four strokes on Phil. Forget about Kepka at this point. And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, usually you're worried about someone running away with it and ruining your Sunday. This was someone not even putting up a f- yeah. <laughs> probably the worst round of anybody that made the cut on Sunday. Um, it was just bogey. Bogey never looked like he was in control of key shots. He couldn't buy a putt. Um, and Rom just kind of played steady Eddie. I think he shot yeah. minus two on the day. Um, it wasn't like he was out there shooting the lights out like Phil and Spieth were on Sunday, who I think both shot 65s in the same pair or 66s in the yeah. same pair. See, but we would never know that happened because we were too busy watching Patrick Cantlay line up a pump for six minutes. See, this, this is my next point. Um, so Brooks Kepka, see, Brooks Kepka had a ton of comments about it. As usual, bit of a prima donna when it comes to that. He well, plays he plays extremely fast, and so does Rom plays on the faster side too. Patrick Cantlay plays aggressively slow. If that's even that's an onomatopoeia, I know. No, but, no, that's like, a good that's a very good way of putting it. 
he aggressively so you saw Victor Hovland who was playing with him in that second to last pairing like like go walking to the next tee box setting up his drive while Cantley was still on the green well I watched him on uh I watched him on one of the holes Cantley I think it might have been one of the ones where the greens over a bridge because Hovland had already played his shot as Cantley's not even on the green yet so again and I know you mentioned kind of the comments from Brooks and the prima donna stuff I did see some of those comments, but to me, it didn't really stick out as a quote-unquote sore loser because it's maybe no, you saw it wasn't a sore loser. No. Yeah, maybe you saw something I didn't, but it's not like he came out and said, "Well, maybe if this guy didn't do what he no. did, I would have been better." No, he was congratulations to Rom. He just kind of made the point like, "Hey, this guy in play front was, of us was atrocious." Yeah, play and, was I mean, slow today. And even in front of him, then the amateur again. It's an amateur. It's the Masters. Sam Bennett was not much faster. He was yeah, he and they was, had to play with him all Sunday morning. He he so. was sitting there looking at uh he was looking at putts forever. So that's another storyline I wanted to talk about. Great story. He's uh the the low low amateur and one of the best performances by an amateur um in recent years. Uh kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Great story. Uh cool cool story, like great performance. Cocky, cocky little kid out there. Man, he had some, I don't know if you saw some of the comments he made. I didn't see comments. Said, no. He basically, he basically earlier in the week said that the college golf course he played at the week before. Oh no, was easier that or was harder than Augusta. He said that earlier in the week. He said the one place he was playing at next weekend had roll had greens that rolled faster than Augusta. Uh he made like a, a credentials comment about his 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 NIL agent not being allowed there. He's like, I thought they would be up on the NIL, but I guess Augusta's old school. Well, he just made a couple uh sly, cocky comments. I think he could be someone on the tour maybe in a couple years that will give us plenty of drama. And like you said, he's a weird – in an age where it seems like all the kids are bombing the ball, he's a weird, uh, slow-playing, short-game kid. Like weird, weird add-on to be the low amateur at, at, at this stage of the game, where golf is at right now. Yep. Um, as to the Brooks Kepka comments, yeah, I didn't find him to be sore losery. I just kind of find everything he says to be annoying sometimes. Um, <laughs> you think he talks about? And like, it, at the very least, Patrick Cantley gave us plenty of great footage of watching those two in the last pairing sitting on a bench together because we got plenty of that. Yep. Um, I think Brooks Kepka even said that John Rahm went to the bathroom like seven. He's like, yeah, Rahm went to the bathroom like eight times during the round. That's how brutally slow this this was. Uh, and I don't know if that's a testament to Rahm, who's a relatively fast player as well, who's also kind of known for being a bit of a loose cannon mentally. That that's how he was kind of coping with the mentalness of staying involved, staying engaged in a slow round during the last day of the Masters, where yeah, you, Brooks Kepka, even if he doesn't want to admit it could have thrown his game off. You think Ron was just going to the porta john and throwing punches at the wall saying, screw this guy for playing so slow. <laughs> I, I am saying he can't do that on camera, so he might have been. <laughs> I Honestly, I don't know. But whatever Rom did, because you're right, they are both on the faster side of players, and whatever Rom did worked. He, he stayed locked in. Um, yeah, I mean. Is there there's one more thing on the Masters that I wanted to talk about? Is there anything else you want to mention that maybe I, that I don't have? Because I know you again. This is more. This was more your. This was more your thing this weekend. Yeah, I did. I did have want to ha talk about um, 
I we already mentioned Phil and what I mean. We can get into Tiger because I think that's what you want to talk that, about. I'm going to kind of open the last that conversation up with uh, Phil Mickelson just finished second at 52 years old in the Masters. He won Kiowa two years ago. Like, where do we start to draw the line to where like it's like a it's super impressive what Phil's still doing, uh, and b it's like when do we start to put him in a little more like when do we make him. I don't want to say that because he's done so much wrong in the last year and a half, but like he needs, I, there needs to be more credit given to what he's done the last on the golf course, what he's done Yep. Um. to where my point with the tiger woods, he makes the cut again, 23 straight. Um, awesome stat Um. in a, in a tournament where guys like Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas didn't make the cut. Yep. Um, and then obviously the cold weather was brutal Saturday, a uh, super cold Sunday morning. He withdraws. Um, but to me, it's I, I'm, I've listened to both sides of this. Uh, it's either got to be, and this is where I think I'm at with it. It's either got to be he just accepts it and gets a cart, and that's how he wins a tournament, or he just has to stop showing up to these events. In my opinion, if he he's not going to be able to finish it, it's clear that it's just doing nothing but being detrimental to his health. He's not proving anything by being out there. He's that part of his career and proving to people what he is as the greatest golfer of all time is over. I think now you focus on getting yourself healthy and being, you know, a good public image for golf um, as far as that rule and not necessarily trying to win a major again. I personally think he either takes a cart and you're a ceremonial person or you just don't play. Uh, and I don't think he should be able to take a cart and actually be considered seriously. In my opinion, I, I, so I was going to say, with the, with the card idea, I completely agree in the sense that if he's going to take a card, just go play on the Champions Tour. Um, that's, an, again, I don't care if you're 45 with 18 screws in your foot or if you're 33 in the prime of your career with no screws in your foot. If if one person's using a card, everyone should be using a card. And if no one's using a card, no one's using a card. So if he wants to keep playing the, the majors, run, running around with that stuff, he's got to do it on foot. But I know I've kind of always said, you know what, it is Tiger Woods. You can never say never familiarity, this familiarity, that, but I've kind of, I'm kind of starting to come around and maybe it is one of those where, Hey, like, are you here for or Like, why are you, why are you here? And maybe the other part of it is maybe the fans need to temper their expectations. I know our group chats, different group chats with friends, we're sitting there and we're analyzing every putt from Tiger Woods. And it's like, guys, like, Maybe it's time we just sit there and say, listen, he's a golfer that's there. He's got he's a big name. But if we're sitting here trying to say, well, he missed that putt, it's like, well, yeah, you know what? He can barely stand anymore. He's got screws in his foot. So it's just one of those where I'd love to keep seeing him out there because it is the he is the guy. He is the needle. He is the sport. But it's it, it is it's tough seeing him out there limping around maybe again, maybe he fares better at a course that isn't as hilly as augusta who knows but you are correct i i do th- i'm starting to kind of really teeter onto the side of there is probably zero shot he ever wins another major and maybe the champions tour is better for him yeah and to go back to the cart thing the weird thing is is it's it's purely the body because the shots are still there. He's still got 180 ball speed and hits the ball 315 yards like every other player out there. It's purely the body that just can't hold yep. up. Uh, yep. So 
the examples of people using carts are guys like John Daly, where like, you know, he's just gonna go like put a Coke with some vodka in there and go dick around in a major and like no one expects him to win. I think it's a little different when you have a guy that could still hit the shots like Tiger and say yep. go go in a cart. And I think people would kind of turn their tune of like a guy that could actually contend in a car. Like John Daly's not content. He's not even trying out there. Like it, it's different when you have someone that is in the cart that can hit the shots and actually win if they get the cart. I think that's a little different argument. I think people would turn their tune. People who are like, oh, you should get a cart. I think people, when you make that point, I think many people would turn their tune a little bit. Yeah. That. Uh, that's, that's really all I got on the golf aspect. Um, do we want to? take our talents over to the NBA is a uh, yeah I just got to say John Rom we didn't we didn't give him enough credit it's the second major fourth win this season he's the number one player in the world when he's on he's the scariest player in golf yep I don't think there's any doubt about that right now I think it's kind of it's him and Scheffler's world right now as far as the golf world goes uh and I think even at that point when when John Rom is on I, there's no one that can beat him so I, I completely agree. Rom's got higher highs than Scotty and lower lows than Scotty. I think that's just kind of the way I look at it. I think Scotty's yeah. kind of a laid back approach of just like whatever, what I mean. I feel like he's just one of those guys like, oh, I shrugged my shoulders, I hit a bad shot, like I'll get it back next time. He, he, he actually notoriously, like you said, kind of a shrug your shoulders and not a frustrated guy. He looked very frustrated. He ended up coming in 10th after a good Sunday, but very very frustrated had a lot of the putt i think i want to say i read a stat that he was like third worst in the entire tournament for strokes gained on the on the green mm-hmm. um and still came in 10th but and he had a couple of clips of him looking very uncharacteristically frustrated yep. um and then i can't imagine that it helped to have to awkwardly put on that j- j- jacket for john rom mm-hmm. at the end of the day uh, I think that's more of a ceremonial thing. I don't think he's too mad about that. Like, hey, that's that. That's just kind of your your you embrace the tradition, and you know, like you you're thinking to yourself, well, last year someone did it to me, I'm right. going to do it. So, I mean, let's let, let's move on to the NBA. Um, not, I mean, I don't say not too much, but conclusion of the regular season. Uh, the play-in games tip off tonight. For those who are listening tomorrow when it comes out, they'll they'll tipped off yesterday. Um, I mean, I guess I'll start with the current playoff matchups that are set. Just kind of a quick brief. So you got Suns versus Clippers in the West. Um, that's not as exciting as a Warriors Suns would have been with the kind of the KD versus old team effect, but that's still a very star-studded first-round matchup. Kawhi, Paul George, Russell Westbrook's not a star anymore, but he's still a name. Um, and then on the other side, Aiton, Booker, Paul, KD. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um You've got the Kings Warriors. I think it's also going to be another one of those kind of fun matchups. The Kings were that were, were this year's kind of Atlanta Hawks or Toronto Raptors of the of the mid and then late 2010s, where they try hard in the regular season, but I think they are going to be a team that gets outclassed in the playoffs. I think the Warriors will beat them in five if Wiggins is there, and then in, in six if Wiggins is not. And then it'll be another one of those kind of data points for the uh of, for the narrative of if you don't have a superstar in the NBA, you're screwed. Just because again, De'Aaron yeah. Fox and Demont, De'Aaron Fox is a star. I think Demontis Sabonis is a really great player, but I don't. I'm not going to call him a star. But when you play Steph Curry, you play Steph Curry, and he's probably gonna he's probably gonna work him. 
I guess the the one thing that I could really say is kind of cool for that is uh, you had Draymond on his podcast a couple couple days ago, maybe even a couple weeks at this point, saying he wants to play the Kings, and everyone was like, "Oh, well, you just want to play the Kings because they're bad." And so maybe there's going to be a chip on the shoulder of the Kings from that, but I think at some point the talent will do too much and they'll win. But um, on the Eastern Conference, Cleveland and New York, um, cool. I think they're the four and the five seed. They kind of. Mm-hmm. I think they're just two teams competing to get hammered by Milwaukee in the next round. Not really much to add there. Um, and then Philly versus Brooklyn, which could have been an incredible series had the Nets not blown up their roster. Um, I'm assuming Philly's going to absolutely slaughter them, given I don't even know who, who who's really left on the Nets. I mean, it's Michael Bridges and what. Um, Cool, I guess. I mean, I think the play-in games are where there's more intrigue. Um, Eastern Conference is kind of similar to the Eastern Conference playoffs where you've got Miami, Atlanta, and then Toronto and Chicago. I think Miami and Atlanta is cool, whatever. It's a compete to get slaughtered by Boston. And then Toronto, Chicago, same thing. Whoever loses that game and then plays the winner of Toronto, Chicago is going to be another one of the, hey, who wants to compete to get slaughtered by Milwaukee. Uh, I think the Eastern Conference is very kind of top-heavy with Milwaukee and Boston, I think they're on a collision course to meet each other in the conference finals, and we'll see what happens then. But uh, as far as the play-in goes, are those those are best two out of three, right? No, single. They're one and done. Yep, I love it. It's like the old baseball playoffs. Yeah, no. So that that's the one thing where they have kind of added in some intrigue, where it's hey, um, seven versus eight seed, winner gets the seven seed, loser goes to play the winner of the nine versus 10 game for the right to be the eight seed. Um, it's kind of a cool little format that they've done. Um, I think it does. Still add a, a stupid little... idea. What? Playing game in general is still dumb, I think, but yeah, it's a way I, to make I, it I, interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's weird because they've devalued the regular season so much that they want to try and add something else to value. That's not a playoff. I, I agree. It's a stupid idea, but I do still think it's kind of fun. Um, again, Western Conference play-in games, those are a little bit more interesting just because I think the teams are a little bit more interesting. Um, you've got the Lakers and the Minnesota Timberwolves, which should be, should again, should be a really funny game. The Minnesota Timberwolves completely capitulated their season in the last game of the year. Um, I don't know if you, how much of that you saw or heard of. Sorry, say that again. I was gonna say, did you did you really under did you see much of what the Timberwolves did to end their season in their last game of the regular season? No. So, remember when we used to do Chump of the Week? Yeah. Yeah, so the Chump of the Week this week is Rudy Gobert for throwing a punch at his teammate. Um, oh, I did see this. Yeah, okay. so Rudy yeah. Gobert threw a punch at Kyle Anderson. Um, then other teammate, Jaden McDaniels, I don't know why he was heading to the locker room. I don't know if they told him to go or for some reason. Then he punched a wall and broke his hand. So the Timberwolves are going into a one-off game against a healthy and surging L.A. Lakers with no Rudy Gobert, no Jaden McDaniels. Um, I mean, obviously, you're still running around with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, but I just think that the Timberwolves, in typical Mickey Mouse franchise fashion, completely torpedoed their season. Um, I, I assume the Lakers win this game, and I they actually played tonight, so I'll probably stay up late watching that, but... I assume Minnesota will be playing the winner of New Orleans and OKC for the right to be the eighth seed. And those two teams are also somewhat interesting. I mean, OKC is the youngest team in the league. I think they have an average age of like 23 years old. And this doesn't include Chet, who didn't play at all. They still made the play in with that. They still have 15 first round picks in the next couple of years to play with. 
So that's a team that's kind of loading up. Shea Gilgis Alexander might be the most underrated player in basketball. Um, it, so I think that they're interesting. And then the other one that I think is kind of a question to you is Zion Williamson. And is he starting to seriously teeter into the bust range for you? Yes, I mean, you look at a guy that, I mean, I can pull up his statistics, but I don't know if he's played 100 games in the last three seasons. Uh, in the last three seasons, no. So I I actually have it right now. So this is why I brought this up. Year one, 24 games played. Year two, 61 games played. Zero games played year three, 29 games played this season. And yet they've already signed him to that Supermax, so he's got yeah. $20 million in the bank, and it's one of those. And the re- again, the only reason I don't want to throw him into the major bust yet is because when he plays, he's stupid efficient, just yep. because, because centers these days are more focused on guarding the perimeter than they are guarding this physical monster down low. So that that's the only – but at some point, availability is an ability. He does not have that ability. He refuses to try and help his body. I, I think I've, I've seen that he doesn't want to change his playing weight. He wants to sit there at 280, and it's like, dude, you can't do that at 6'6". Like, yeah. your, 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 your body, your ligaments, your knees will not hold up at 6'6", 280, especially the way he jumps and the way – like in like kind of the ferocious intensity he plays with when he's trying to block shots or dunk the ball. So – I, I get it. I'm I'm on the of mindset of he is he has hit that 23rd hour of you're gonna be a bust. Yeah, it's weird to think that because he still is only 22, and yep. when he does play, he averages 26 with eight rebounds a game. Yep. So no, it's it's like I said, he, he he does amazing things when he's on the court. He's still super young, but injuries are one of those things where, especially as you're one of the the bigger boys, quote unquote. Once they pile on, you you never get better. Um, right. And I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about the M- with the NBA was uh, the Mavericks, who are currently under investigation for actively tanking. I don't know if you saw this. I did see some of this, but not all of it. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, they were in the thick of the playoff chase. This was not the last game of the regular season, but it was the one before that. Um, they mysteriously decided to sit five of their regular players. Like I, I, again, I'm not talking your, I'm not talking your five best players. I mean, Lucas still played, but you mysteriously sat five of let's say your eight man rotation, and then you lost. Obviously, you lost that game. Um, it's it is worth noting. Um, they do have a top ten protected first round pick. They still owe the New York Knicks from the Kristaps Porzingis trade, and so I'm assuming that Mark Cuban or Jason Kidd or maybe the organization as a whole just said, hey lose these last two games because that makes us in the top 10 of odds maybe we get lucky and jump a little bit in the lottery and we get to keep this pick and we we can regroup next season with a first round with like a higher first round pick and then we'll send them a late first round pick when we make the conference finals again like we did two years ago but that's just kind of the last thing i want to note, note because that's kind of the most in your face active form of tanking i've seen and i think it's kind of stupid yeah, it's stupid to be so – it's just, like, I don't necessarily, like, hate the move, but, like, it's uh, so stupid for being so blatant. Yeah. You, you got you to gotta at least pretend that you're trying to win games. I, it was it was bad. Um, I, I don't know what this investigation that the, the league is putting on is actually going to yield. I don't know what kind of punishments there are. I mean, 
don't think you can strip a pick for this. I don't think it's that bad, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, maybe this is something we revisit down the line in a couple of weeks when details come out, when punishments come out, but I don't know. It also kind of does lead into another topic of the NBA where I've always been a very, very big defender of it. I love basketball, but there's some, there's some serious issues with the league. The league, yeah. There's some serious issues, but at the same time, it does the best job of any other league of marketing itself. Yep. No, and again, I think this is actually a great topic for down the road, maybe when the the the, the NHL NBA playoffs end and we're stuck with our options of talk about the four and forty Detroit Tigers or talk about like something else. And I think something else is gonna win. Two and eight, and they're the worst team in baseball. <laughs> Uh, let's get to the NFL because there actually has been some NFL news last couple days. You want you want you want to start this one out? I kind of took the the lead with the NBA stuff. Yeah, so I'll start us out with the OBJ. Obviously, uh, he signs with the Ravens. Uh, I mean, I guess I, you could say I'm a bit of a surprise. It's a freaking pit. I'm a little pissed off. Uh, if I'm a Ravens fan. Um, Ravens, faithful, whatever. I'm a little pissed off at the signing. Like, you had all these years if Lamar Jackson's your guy and you want to lock him in, and then now that, like, everyone's making a fuss about how you've never put anything around him, now you go get a guy that hasn't played in a year and a half that, like, is in it almost 30 years old, probably, if not 30 years old, that is clearly on the back nine, let alone, like I said, hasn't played in a year and a half. And just sign a big name just to say, look, look what we did. We got you a superstar. No, you didn't. You spent $18 million on a guy that you shouldn't have paid nine. And you know what? If you're not going to pay Lamar Jackson, then why are you wasting money on Odell Beckham Jr. You could have you could have spent all eighteen million dollars of those on guaranteed money for Lamar, and it would have been a much better investment than playing a guy that hasn't played in a year and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you bring up the money. That's the one thing I had kind of noted down was fifteen million guaranteed, up to eighteen possible. And it's one of those where again, maybe it's just the fact that it's a one year deal, and maybe they're trying to set up Lamar for failure and and give him some washed player and say, oh look what you look what we gave you, look what you could do with it, but. Again, the money isn't you, you make the best point. How do you find 15 million guaranteed for a 29-year-old dude who hasn't played in two years coming off of ACL surgery, but you can't find money for your quarterback? That no one else wanted all last year. He was doing all those stupid like recruiting visits at NFL camps yeah. all last season, and nobody <laughs> yeah. wanted him. Nobody gave him an offer. And you find fifteen million dollars that you can't give to the best quarterback your franchise has probably ever had. I can probably agree to that. I know. I know Joe Flacco's got a Super Bowl, but Joe Flacco didn't win that Super Bowl. The Ravens defense did. Um, that's actually that's an interesting. It's an interesting topic. I don't fully hate it. Um, yeah, it that's it's a bonkers move by the Ravens. I I did see that Lamar was happy about it. They were seen, I think, hanging out somewhere, probably on a boat, taking pictures like Odell used to do for the Giants. That probably means they'll lose a bunch of games now, like the Giants used to do with Odell. But yeah, I for me, Odell Beckham Jr. is kind of teetering into that stage of like just go away. Um, Again, maybe we're completely wrong and maybe he still has a lot to offer to football. I just don't think that's the case. And even like when he did play two years ago, he was a like a role a role piece again. Again, a role piece. Not 
Like $18 million, that's what you pay a borderline number one superstar receiver. I, I, I get it. Um, when, you, when you say it like that, I agree. I mean, I think he was a little bit more than a role piece. I think he kind of assumed that wide receiver two duty behind Cooper Cup after Robert Woods died. Um, I don't even know he, if he was that, to be honest. I get, he, he was all right, but again, it was one of those where – if Cooper Cup is opposite you, it's the Juju Smith-Schuster Smith thing with Antonio Brown. Everybody looks good when one of the three best receivers in football is sitting on the opposite side, and he's getting two to three guys and two to three like two to three game plans per play, and you're just mm-hmm. sitting there running around against Jeff Okuda. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to get open against Jeff Okuda. Speaking of Jeff Okuda, it goes into our next you like, topic. You like, that transition? you like that transition? Yeah, I knew you were doing that. <laughs> Jeff Okuda, the Lions cornerback, traded today, actually, uh, as we're recording, for a fifth-round pick to the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know. I think they gave up a year early on him, personally. So, I am torn how to feel this because I think I see both sides of it. Um, a fifth-round pick is kind of low when you're trying to sell. But if you flip it around and let's say you wanted to buy Jeff Okuda, what are you giving up for him given the first three years he's had? Nothing. But my point is, say you – like on his rookie deal still, say he has one more flat year and then you can't get – then the argument is, oh, well, we wouldn't have gotten anything for him. And it's like, well, you got a fifth-round pick. It's not like you got something substantial. Well, hold on. So I do, I do know that. However – our GM turned two sixth-round picks last year into Malcolm Rodriguez and James Houston. With that said, I, I, I again, I agree. I think this is kind of just a move that signifies, hey, man, I don't care what you did next season. I've locked up a different corner. He's going to be my corner one. I'm thinking I'll probably draft a corner. That'll be my corner two high in the draft, and we'll have him for four years on cheap. I'm not going to pay you regardless of what you do. And it kind of turns into a Sadiq Bay situation with the Pistons where I might as well get something for him than nothing. So again, that, yeah. I see that side of it, but I also do agree with you. He was, he was good the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season. Then he kind of panned down into average, but we're about to enter a Lions kind of defensive line situation that we have not seen since probably Ndamukong Sue and Nick Fairley, where we assume they're taking a a high defensive player at six. That defensive line is going to be teetering into the top seven, eight in football. And guess what? Every quarterback starts to look better when you get to the quarterback faster. So I think... I think it'll be interesting. He he would have been definitely great for a depth piece. Someone maybe compete as that CB3 or rotational guy with, let's say, a Jerry Jakes because you did sign three guys this offseason. Um, I know the one thing I do want to add, and then I'll kind of turn it last thing I want to add before I turn it back over to you, but I think there's a lot of resentment from fans in, in Michigan on him for what happened being the third overall pick and kind of how his career panned out. And I guess – I don't, I don't really like that, and I don't agree with it. Because, first of all, he didn't pick himself. Somebody had no. to pick him. Second of all, his first year, I'm pretty sure there was no preseason or training camp. They were just like, yeah, buddy, go guard Devontae Adams while Aaron Rodgers is throwing to him. What? 
who is going to do good in that? And then the rest of the season kind of followed that. His second year, he tore his Achilles, so he didn't really get to play. And then last year, he did show flashes. So I guess the one thing I will say is I don't, I don't understand and I don't really stand for the resentment. I think this will be good for him to go get a fresh start. I think post-injury, losing a step of quickness, maybe maybe being a free safety, just kind of ball hawking around the secondary is a better fit for him than being a corner in this league anymore. But I, I, I'm I not one of those people who's like, oh, man, I hate Jeff Okuda. It's like, well, he didn't pick himself. Mm-hmm. Our stupid previous regime did. So I, I, I wish him the best. Yeah, I think uh, you talk a, a good point you make is the previous regime making this pick. Uh, I think if it is the same regime still there, he gets another year. I do think there's a little bit of a, this wasn't our guy, so we're not even going to give him the, the extra year of a chance. That's that's actually, that's an interesting, I didn't, th- I didn't think about it that way, but I, yeah. That's I mean, all I got on Okuda. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more on him. I'm trying to think, did we cover everything we had planned? I think we did. I think we got it. You want to talk about Barcelona some more or Madrid some more? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, we got we got some time. We finished this early, so um, I'll talk about the game first. Maybe we can transition to the city a little bit later, a little bit yeah. a little bit after. But the game was really interesting. Um, like I said, they are in a position where they are thirteen points behind Barcelona in the league, and mm-hmm. they were always going to be kind of resting players for the Champions League, and then they play a uh, they they play the Spanish Cup final in a month. But um, so yeah, so they had Barcelona in the semifinals of the cup last Wednesday. Then they played Saturday, a game that I was at, and they played Chelsea in the Champions League quarterfinal tomorrow. So as soon as I realized what was going on, I was like, "Well, shit! I bought tickets to the wrong game because I know that they're going to be playing a weakened team. I know that the, the players will kind of be all oh, whatever, just kind of a carefree, careless attitude, and that's kind of how the game went." Um. They had chances, but they weren't really clinical. You could kind of tell that maybe mentally they were just like, you know what, I'm here because it's my job and I'm more focused on the game in 96 hours. Um, I mentioned the crowd. Crowd was kind of quiet. Atmosphere's crowd. I think the fans were kind of in the same boat. It's like, well, if we win this game, what? Like, we're, we're, there's nothing we should really risk for winning this game because it won't change our situation in the league. We're, we're, we're not going to come back and win this trophy. So... It was still a lot of fun. Got to belt out the uh, the anthem with a bunch of other people. The stadium is gargantuan. Um, like you get in. How many does it seat? It's so it's tough because it used to seat one hundred and ten thousand, I think. But through renovations, they've brought the capacity down and down. And I think what they've just done is they've kind of just maybe added more seats and kind of had less standing room. Yeah. But um. It, I think at this point it seats around 81,000, but they are in the middle of renovations. So they're at like, I think their capacity at this point is like 65, 70. So okay. it was interesting to see. I mean, the stadium itself, well, I mentioned the renovations. I actually think they made the stadium look worse. They kind of gave it a more American style of atmosphere. And like, mm-hmm. it kind of almost looks like a shopping mall. There's a bunch of like, kind of like modern these steel beams going around the outside and it's all closed off. And it's again, it just like, I'll, the next time I see you, I can show you pictures of the old stadium, the new one. And like the old one looks just like, it looks like sports is played there. The new one looks like, well, it could be a shopping mall, could be a stadium, but it just, it kind of lost its feel. And so it's disappointing with that. Um, 
we getting into the stadium was was really cool um they just have like a million different gates there's not really like a, a concourse the way american stadiums have it's you have a gate you walk up the gate to your section you sit in your seat there again there's no there's no go to the team store let's go get a beer at the uh, insert your favorite restaurant in lca beforehand there's none of that it's walk inside oh the other thing is you get to bring whatever you want. So when we, when we were waiting in line in security, there was this guy in front of us and dude brought a whole picnic. He had, like he had his little picnic basket with him. So the security guy starts rummaging through and he's pulling out sandwiches and waters and a bunch of condiments. I'm like, I didn't know, I didn't know this was a thing. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, there's no pretzels at, at halftime or something. So that was kind of a funny culture shock to me going there, but city, City's cool. I think, I, again, I mentioned the fact that they don't speak English there, so it's a little tough to communicate what you're looking for, but um, nevertheless, beautiful city, uh, very clean. For a capital city of a of a big country, something that's got four or five million people and something that sees a lot of tourists every day, you don't see, let's say, if you compare it to New York or maybe even Chicago, you don't see as many cigarette buds or trash just lying around. You don't see broken glass everywhere. Very clean, very kind of organized. It was, it's really nice. So, what do you think that is? Okay, For, like you said, four or five million. What do you think that is? That a lot of those European cities, because in my experience with your, those bigger European cities, I've also found them just to be more clean. Do you think that's just like the oldness of it? Like there's a sense of we need to maintain this, uh, a sense of like maybe historical pride since they are a little older. Or do you think it's just simply a cultural difference? Uh, do you think it's a touristy thing? Like why is Madrid nice? and clean and why is new york city granted new york city probably has double the people yeah still but why is new york city have rats in the subway so i would probably say i think cultural thing is the biggest um in europe they are a lot more conscious of everything i mean odd, funny enough when we were in amsterdam uh i think i accidentally uh, threw away my plastic bottle instead of recycling it and someone yelled at me in the airport and so I just, again, I, I think that's just kind of the culture of Western Europe specifically. They're very pro kind of environment. They're very pro cleanliness and it's a good thing. Um, yeah. Again, because like I said, phenomenal. Um, everything is well done. And again, maybe that's, maybe there is more factors. Maybe there is the historical thing, like you say. I mean, some of those buildings in Madrid are probably 600 years old. I mean, you look at it. Spain was an imperial power before England even rose to power. So, I mean, we're looking, we're going back 600 years to the time when like, the Spanish were kind of sailing around the world. Right. Um, speaking of sailing around the world, we actually ended up in a naval museum, which kind of told the history of just kind of shipbuilding and maybe just, and then more of like the Spanish kind of empire as a whole and like the rise and the fall of it. And that was actually really interesting. Maybe I've kind of hit that like, not going to call it middle age status, but I've kind of left the kid status of like, if you're if you're 16 or 17, and you go into a museum with your family on a, on a vacation, you hate your life. But I actually found it kind of interesting. It made me kind of question some things like you look at some of those ships and you think to yourself, how are these dudes like how able and like how smart and how technical 
were these people 600 years ago where they barely had, like, light. If it wasn't sun out, you couldn't do any work. They barely had any of that, and they were sitting there making incredible things that, like, at this point, we got to make with Google. Yeah. It makes me question a lot, too. Like, it's a good point you make that they had so many less actual resources, but we have, like, literally the facts to anything known in the world sitting in our, in our pocket at all times, and I still feel like a mush brain that couldn't even, like, make, like, a, like a, I don't know, a candle. But a bad example. But I think that part of it is they didn't have anything else to do that they could just sit around and figure it out. Where we live in such a fast moving world with so much information thrown at us that we don't get that opportunity to genuinely sit down and figure stuff like that out with our hands so much. I can see it. I, I was just really, I was just really kind of intrigued by it. Um, it was interesting. They, the Spanish Empire, kind of rose and fall with wooden ships. I mean, as technology progressed, mm. and you started to see more let's say plated ships and armored ships and more kind of let's just say rows of cannons they started to fall off it was like i'm thinking to myself that's crazy that they were so skilled with just the wooden ships and so advanced they get they they ran the world for 300 years probably mm-hmm they were kind of that original, the sun never sets. Like, I mean, we all we always learn the sun never sets on the British Empire growing up. They were the original, the sun never sets. They had they had they had places they had places everywhere. Um so again, super So you're saying you're surprised at like how good they were with wooden ships and, and then how to... inept and then how inept and how how quickly everything fell apart as soon as like more technology came in and more again, just more armor and more firepower came into let's say war. Yeah, history just the thing that I love about history is it it's so and some people don't this is why I think some people don't appreciate it don't really have this realization sometimes is it, it is so applicable to the our world currently and the future of our world because history does repeat itself even if it's not the same scale or the same exact thing but like I think that makes me think like what kind of technology is going to be out there like like say an ai or something right now that's that's going to like do the same thing to the spanish to say like an america a power like america that just kind of just goes nope you you didn't figure it out and the technology takes you over and you you're no longer the conquistadors of the world no that's that's certainly a conversation to be had when the Stars are out when it's 2 a.m., maybe some alcoholic beverages flowing through the system. I, I, I really do enjoy those kind of conversations. I would, the next time, if we ever do find each other in that position, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Okay. <laughs> you don't think anyone on the podcast wants to have that, listen to us have that conversation right now? Maybe not an hour into it. If we started it, it would be like, yo, what are these guys on? And maybe they would try and trek through to get to the sports section, but... <laughs> We should we should turn this into a history podcast. I, I I actually find history incredibly fascinating, so I don't I don't hate that concept. But maybe all right, we we'll end it. every episode with we each have to bring a historical <laughs> event or fact uh, and do like a two minute report on it. Maybe that's what our dog days of the summer podcast turn into. 
on this episode, we're going to talk about the, the disappearing colony of Roanoke, Virginia. We're going to talk about Genghis Khan. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, he might be your great, 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 yes. great, 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 great granddad. I was about to say, isn't it like almost 10% of the world is technically related to him? Yeah, I think it's a little lower now, but yeah, it's something ridiculous like that. <laughs> I, I want to say he killed, like, he killed somewhere around that, like, like 10%, 15% of the entire, like, footprint of the world at that time. Yeah, the Mongolians are crazy. They still are crazy, but. All right, we're rambling, man. <laughs> We've hit the stage. Yeah. yeah, you know when I have my Google pulled up next to it and it says, New York City population, 8.8 million, that we, we are no longer on the on the talks of sports. No, we are not. So to anyone who has made it this far, to anyone who's, who stuck through the sports, who stuck through the Spain, who stuck through the, uh, the history nerds geeking out, thank you very much. If you do have some history topics that you would like us to discuss, let us know. And I will say, as always, go green. Hit them hard, guys, now that it's golf season.